0: Good morning, Gospel Hope. And aren't you thankful that God's promise and His faithfulness always remains, man? Where we would be, where would we be without the faithfulness of our great God? Well, I'm excited today to open God's Word again uh, as we continue our doctrine series, and so we are working through uh, the doctrine of humanity, also known as. Anthropology, very good. Not the clothing store, but the doctrine. So we are working through the doctrine of man. And thus far in our series, we've worked through several ideas. First, we looked at the idea that man is made in the image of God. When God created human beings, they were made with dignity and worth because they bear his stamp on them. Then we looked at this idea that man and woman Both bear the image of God, but were created distinct by design. And the the genders, in a sense, are made to complement one another. Uh, Last week, we dove into this idea that not only are man and woman image bearers and made distinct, but also that we are sinners and we are sufferers. Because of Adam and Eve's fall, the world broke and we broke with it. And then today, we're going to dive in and talk about this idea that man and woman are made to be in community. That is, we are created for community, made for one another. So I hope this is going to be helpful for you. And today, after all, is Connect Sunday. Can I get a whoop whoop? Okay, that was pretty weak, but all right, yeah. So, yeah, Connect Sunday. And for us, we try to do this a couple times of a year. And it's just like what it sounds, because we want to give you an opportunity to connect. We are convinced that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, and so we want to give you an opportunity to just kind of wrap our arms around you and become part of the family in one sense. So we're going to be unpacking that and giving you some opportunity. So I'll tell you something. This message, because it's Connect Sunday, whoop, whoop. Okay, better? Um, it's like the secret word, okay? Connect Sunday? Okay, all right, yeah, all right. Um, It's actually going to be participatory. So there's going to be a couple of occasions throughout the message where we're going to have you interacting with some folks around you. So I hope this will be an encouragement to you as we really dive into this idea of created for community. So today we're looking at Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 and the title of the message is simply this, Longing for Belonging. Let's pray and we'll jump into God's word. Father, we thank you that great is your faithfulness. And Lord, one of the ways that you have been so faithful to us is by giving us a family. By connecting us with one another. Lord, your church, your people are a gift towards us. And I pray that we would not take it for granted. I pray this morning we would be freshly made aware of the wonderful gift of community. And I pray for some folks today that feel isolated and alone that they would maybe for the first time begin to feel connected with you and feel connected with your people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In 1985, in response to a famine in Africa, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote the charity song, We Are the World. Very good. In so doing, they gathered some of the most famous musicians at the time, and sang the song, and the song was a smashing success. We are the world-topped music charts throughout the world and became the fastest-selling American pop single in history, as well as the first ever single to be certified multi-platinum. Perhaps the line that captured the essence of the song best was sung by Cyndi Lauper, diva of the 1980s, and it went like this. Let us realize that change can only come when we stand together as one. Part of the reason that song went so global is because doesn't that like strike a chord within all of our hearts? In some sense, that resonates with us because we know at some fundamental level it it to be true. Unity is better than division. Togetherness is better than isolation. Human beings functionally know this on a fundamental level because, frankly, that is the way that we are created. And we see this woven into the very fabric of the creation narrative. You go to Genesis chapter 1, and you see a very clear pattern that emerges. So I need you to say one word with me this morning. Say the word good. Good. Very good. So I'm going to point to you, and you're going to say? Very good. You ready? Genesis chapter 1 reads this way. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was? Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and God saw that it was? Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, and fruit trees, and earth bearing fruit for seed in according to their kinds, and God saw that it was? Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and God saw that it was? Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And God saw that it was. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl. Then the wildlife on the earth according to their kinds. And God saw that it was. Notice the pattern. God creates and says, it's good. And then you get to the creation of man. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. Then God said, let Us, okay, so there's the first hint that we're created for community. Let us make man, in our own image, the divine community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in communion for all eternity, said we're going to make someone like us. And therefore, those people like us will need others just like we are in community, so my people will live in community. Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Then God breaks the pattern. Then the Lord God said, it is not for man to be alone. Good, 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 good. Not good. And what is this ungoodness a reference to? It is a reference to man's aloneness. So if I could put it very simply... Human beings were created for community. In other words, when we are alone, when we are in isolation, in some sense, it's less than human. We're not fulfilling our purpose. We are not made to live all by ourselves. And can't you feel that deep in your bones? It's why it's hard to see a kid sitting alone in the lunchroom. It's why it stings to be Left out of the inside joke. It's why cubicles are being replaced with shared workspaces. And it's why even in prison, what is the biggest punishment you can have? Solitary confinement. The reality is this. We all long to belong. We all long to belong. It is literally in our human DNA. So unsurprisingly, when the Bible summarizes the Christian life, it does it in this way. The Lord has asked, hey, what is the most important things in all of the scripture? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you cannot even follow God. You can't even do the main two commands by yourself. You have to have other people in your life so that you can live out what God calls us to do. Or as we like to say it at Gospel Hope, the Christian life is a team sport. You've probably heard me say this before if you've been around Gospel Hope very long. But I'm going to say it again because we need to get it. The Christian life is not like golf. Say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, when you golf, who drives? When you golf, who drives? I do. When you golf, who chips? The answer is I do, folks, okay? All right. You're smart people, you can do this. When you golf, who chips? When you golf, who putts? When you golf, who cheats? Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, when you pull that scorecard out of your pocket, who is responsible for the score? You, just you, no one else. No one else was involved. You did it all. You have the scorecard. It is your score. On the other hand, if you play football, who's responsible for the score? Well, it's it's everybody it's the coaches, it's the guys on the bench, it's the coordinators, it's probably the guy in the training room. Everybody participates. And it's not just the guy with the ball in his hands or the one who takes it across the end zone that is responsible for the scoreboard. It's the whole team. Here's what I'm saying, folks. Christianity is a team sport. You can't do it alone. You can't go out in your backyard and say, I'm going to go play football by myself. That's dumb. You can maybe do some drills. You can maybe go work out. But you can't play football without another person, and you can't play Christianity without other people. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community with other people. And this is a needed reminder. Why? Because we live in a culture where at times this is counterintuitive. We're Americans after all, right? Independence and an entrepreneurial spirit are often applauded. Schedules are full. And people have little margin in their lives for relationships or other people. Making a difference in the world drives people to run out ahead of others. And the result of this hard-charging, jam-full lifestyle is that people can often look up for a moment and end up feeling all alone. And that is simply not the way we were meant to live. Just because we are busy and our lives are full does not mean that we cannot live or should not pursue community. Which leads me to my point this morning, simply this, we must fight for family. say, well, why do you say it like that, Ryan? Why do you say family? Well, here's why. You go to Mark chapter 3. And Jesus is at the kind of height of his earthly popularity. People are flocking to see him. He's teaching in venues that are so full that you can't even get a word into Jesus. And in one of these occasions, Jesus is teaching and folks come up to Christ and say this. Mark chapter 3, verse number 32. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother and your brother and your sisters are asking for you. And then Jesus replies in a rather unexpected manner. Verse number 33. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those sitting around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now is this Jesus just being rude? Is Jesus like, cutting off his family? Is there some sort of, you know, angst going on here? What is happening? No, I think Jesus is teaching a profound theological principle, namely this. The church is not like a family. It is a family. Jesus is saying, hey, these people who do the will of my father, they are my brothers and sisters and mothers. The people in this room If you have trusted in the gospel and they have trusted in the gospel, the people in this room are not like your brothers and sisters. They are your brothers and sisters. And this has profound, profound ramifications for our lives. Here's one implication. You are not alone. I know pandemic has been tough. I know the isolation that people have felt has been real. I know some of you have cried yourself to sleep at night because you feel so out of sorts and isolated from others. Here's what the scripture says. If you have trusted in the gospel, you belong. These are your people. This is your family. That's not aspirational. That is a reality based on the work of Jesus on behalf of sinners. So you might hear that and think, Ryan, I hear you. And if I'm honest, I want to belong, but seriously, I often feel pretty isolated. I feel pretty lonely at times. What what am I supposed to do? Well, thankfully, this is where Philippians 2 is so helpful for us. If you know the story of the church at Philippi, it was a beloved church and in many ways a model in the scriptures of a church that really loved and cared for one another. These believers were a regular source of encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And here in this passage, he says to them, you got to keep fighting for family. You got to keep sticking together. And he lays out some strategies for how the church can fight for family. So I want to make... Three suggestions this morning about how to fight for family. The first one is simply this. Remember our shared salvation. Look at verse number one of Philippians chapter two. If then there is any encouragement in Christ. If any consolation of love. If any fellowship with the spirit. If any affection and mercy. Now, let me explain. The ifs here are not an expression of uncertainty. It's not like Paul is saying here, like, if the Falcons get their act together, we'll have a good season. That's not what he's doing here. It's not like kind of like hopeful. It's actually an expression of certainty. It's more like saying, if 2 plus 2 equals 4, and it does, then 4 minus 2 equals 2. And for those of you that aren't that good at math, that was accurate right there, okay? I didn't mess it up. It's really like Paul is saying since. Since these things exist, since these things are true, you should embrace them. What Paul is essentially reminding believers is that all of them have received a great deal through Jesus. If you have trusted in Christ, all of these benefits are yours. He's telling them that because of Jesus, you have the hope Of knowing that you are right with God. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have the comfort of feeling secure in the love of Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have the presence of the empowering spirit. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have the joy of being treated with compassion and tenderness. God has done so much for those who trust in his son. Yes, the work is not yet over, but there is still an awful lot of sweetness right here, right now, because of what Christ has done. You see, right now our salvation is both incomplete and incredible. It's both of those things. Our salvation is incomplete and incredible. Let me illustrate. Uh, A few months ago, I had the opportunity to go skiing in Utah. Anybody ever been out west to ski? I mean, it it really is a breathtaking experience. Well, I remember when I was uh, going skiing, before I had gone down the mountain at all, you know, in order to get up the mountain, what do you do? You ride the Lift. Sitting down there on the lift and going up and seeing mountains and snow and giant trees, and it was just like <gasps> like I, I like almost couldn't catch my breath. It was so breathtaking. And here's the thing: I hadn't even done what I had came there to do yet. The skiing was awesome, but even getting to the skiing was pretty good in and of itself. Here's the thing, friends. God has in store for those who trust his son. An unspeakably glorious future. Our minds are not even big enough to imagine what God has prepared for his people. Like, think of the best experience in your life. That's nothing. That is an echo of the thunderclap that is the glory of heaven for all eternity. That is in our future. But what I think Paul is saying right now is even though you haven't received the whole enchilada, even though the main course is not here yet, the appetizers are still pretty good. God is giving you things, hope and encouragement and comfort and joy in the here and now, that though you haven't had it all yet, it's still pretty sweet. And what he's saying to the Philippians is this. You need to remind one another of what you have in Jesus right here, right now. Verse number two. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way and having the same love and being united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. All of these benefits that are yours in Christ Jesus are also the benefits of everyone else who has trusted in Jesus. All believers trust the same Savior, and experience the same salvation. What does that mean? It means that the Jesus, the Jesus that Joaquin knows, I know. The the forgiveness, the forgiveness that Pastor Rod has experienced, I have experienced. The Spirit's guidance that Laura has had in her life, I have felt in my life. The joy of the Lord that Tasia knows, I know too. Brothers and sisters, we have so much in common and we need to remember that. There are 10,000 things in this world that will threaten to divide us and tear us apart. Politics and economics and race and identities and all kinds of things going on in our world that threaten to tear our relationships to shreds. And what Paul is saying here is remember that you have so much in common. You have the same Savior. You have the same experience of his work in your life. Remind one another of that on a regular, consistent basis. Have you ever had a shared experience with someone? Someone that you didn't know? You know, some of us from church have gone on a fishing trip down to Destin, Florida. And we say we go down there for fishing. We actually go down there because there's this one restaurant. It is called Beauchamp's. It just rolls off my tongue. I don't know what sort of sorcery that they are working in the kitchen there. But it is the best plate of food that I have ever eaten. Not even close. I mean, it's just like, like, we started talking about the fishing trip, and I'm like, are we going to the restaurant? How many times are we going to the restaurant? It, this, this is the wheels that begin turning. And I, this happened to me the other day. Somebody was like, oh, we went down to Destin. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I wasn't like, did you go fishing? I was like, you went to Destin. Did you go to Beauchamp's? And he looked back at me, and he was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And a spark passed between, it's like we knew. We knew at that moment what we were talking about. Just go. Like, maybe go after church. Just pack your bags and go. I'm telling you, you want to do that. Listen, that is the way it is among God's people in one sense. It's like, do you know my Jesus? Oh, you know, I know him. Let's remind one or another of that because life can get hard. And it can easily get distracted by all the other things in this world and things that want to divide us and pull us apart. But no matter what we have, uh, differences among us, we have so much more in common if we are the people of God. We have such a wonderful thing in common. So what is Paul saying here? He's like, remember your shared salvation. We've got our differences, but we have the same Father and the same salvation. So how do we practically live this out? I think part of the way is we regularly should speak with one another about what Jesus is doing in our lives. You should just regularly remind one another of what Christ is doing in our lives. And when you have those conversations, you know what the other people say. Oh, me too. God's done that in me too. And that brotherhood and that sisterhood gets deeper and deeper. So listen, I told you this was going to be participatory. Um, I'm not going to talk about it. We're actually going to do it right now. So I want you to turn your attention to the screen right now. And I'm going to put a question up there. What is one reason that you are thankful that God sent his son to save us? And here's what I'd like you to do. With somebody that's sitting around you, I'd like you to just take about a minute, a minute each, and share the answer to that question. Got it? You're just going to take about a minute and share the answer to that question with somebody sitting around you. What is one reason that you are thankful that God sent his son to save us? Ready, set, All right. Great. Let me have your attention back up here. There'll be more opportunities to talk. Just a minute. I was like, man, that was really fast. Like, people are like, man, will this guy shut up so I can talk to somebody? Yeah, good. Not only are we to remind ourselves of our shared salvation to fight for family, but we are also to demonstrate our common concern. Look again at verse number two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Notice this phrase right here. Having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. So not only are we to like be committed to the same Savior, but we're also committed. We should be committed to caring for one another. As you read through the New Testament, time and time again, believers are are called to be known for their mutual care for one another. John thirteen verse thirty five. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples. If you read your Bible a lot, no. If you're active in sharing your faith, no. If you pray without ceasing, no. All of those things are really critical and biblical ideas. But here is what the New Testament says. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or down in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Well, Why? Because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, love for one another is the distinguishing mark of the people of God. The way that the world knows that we are Christians is by the way that we love one another. And this really shouldn't be a surprise to us. We have been adopted, after all, by the father of love. We have been bored again by the spiritual DNA of love. We have been saved by the greatest act of love of no time. It is no wonder then that the dominant characteristic of God's family is meant to be love. And don't you know that to be true? I mean, just seriously, like for just a moment, just a moment, look around the room. Look around the room. Go ahead, do it. Just look, take a peek. When you do that is it in one sense your heart get a little full? Like some of these people you might not even know by name. You might not know them at all, but you're like, man, here's a group of people that are gathered here to hear the word of my father preached. In some way, they are interested in the things of the God of love and part of your heart ought to go, man, I'm a little bit stirred with affection for these people. I love them at some sort of deep, intrinsic gut level. And why is this the case? Because Mark chapter 3 again. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Folks, these are your kin. <laughs> when the words of the famous theologian Sister Sledge, we are family. It's true. It's true because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So what does it mean to live out of this reality of love? Like this is my family and I love them and I want to live in a way that models love. I would say it is at least this. It's certainly more than this, but it is at least this. It means I think we should pray for one another. I think one of the easiest most biblical, simple ways that we can demonstrate love for our family is by praying for one another. Oh, there's so much more you can do, right? But I don't think there's less that you can do and really say that we are loving one another. So what I want to do, once again, is not just talk about it. I want to actually model what it looks like to live in love with our brothers and sisters. I'm going to put another question up on the screen. And I'd like you to find someone else this time. Find someone else. So if you turn to your left, turn to your right this time. Find someone else and ask this simple question, what is your biggest challenge? Now, listen, y'all. If you want to have lunch today or go to Beauchamp's, it's a long journey. We're just looking for like a short little thing here, Not, not the story of your life. I was born in an early age. Don't start there, okay? What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? And then, will you just simply pray for one another? Take a moment and receive the care of a brother and sister in Christ by praying for you. If you feel comfortable doing that, will you grab somebody around you and just take a moment, share your biggest challenge, and take a word of prayer. Go. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to carry our burdens to you. And that, Lord, you hear the prayers of your people. Thank you that we can lift up one another in prayer. Lord, what an awesome, awesome opportunity. I pray that we would show love for one another by regularly praying for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, simple little exercise. How do you feel? Shout out some words. How do you feel after that? Good. Okay. You you guys are like, don't. Nobody write a book in here because I said, how do you feel? Everybody's like, we feel good. Like, okay, let's, can we be a little more precise there? How, how do you feel? Edified. Ooh, somebody spiritual over there. Yeah, edified. Encouraged. Full of faith. Connected. Any others? Loved. Very good. Yeah. Man, such a simple little thing, right? But, but it's a way that we can fight for family. We say, man, I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be alone. Can I pray for you? Will you pray for me? It is a simple way where we can fight to be connected with one another. Third and finally, how do we fight for family? We follow our mutual mandate. Look at verse number three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, those who follow Jesus should not only be marked by love for one another, but radical humility. Believers should be actively seeking ways to selflessly serve one another. And friends, that is not easy. Because you know why? It's totally counterintuitive. Um, you know who Ryan McCammack's biggest fan is? It is Ryan McCammack. I am the charter and only member of the Ryan McCammack fan club. I can't even get my wife to join. I mean, but I love me some me. And you know what? You do too. You don't love me, you love you, right? Or else I'd have lots of members in my fan club. We are, by nature, selfish people we love ourselves so this call this call to not look for your own interest but on the interest of others is a call away from what we are naturally bent towards you know i remember several years ago when my two oldest children they were the two boys were really little and they were tussling over some toy i can't even remember exactly what it was and i'm like boys 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 you guys need to stop fighting over that. Okay, Dad, okay. Hey, is it better Is it better to serve or to be served? It's better to serve, Dad. Okay, and, and what does God do? When we, when we serve others, what does God do? Well, God rewards us when we serve. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so what do you guys think you should do? And Calvin just kind of like resigned, looks up at me and he says, It's okay, Dad. I'll let Ian serve me. (laughs) He just didn't want to take away his reward in heaven, right? Yeah. And that's the way we all operate, right? It is really easy for us to believe that being served is better than serving. That is natural for us to all to believe. And yet the Lord calls us in a completely different direction. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like, overserve other people. Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In God's economy, the way up is always down. And this is something which we all need to be reminded. In our do-it-for-the-gram culture, it can be tempting to play the deadly game of comparison. To look at other people with envy or jealousy in our heart. With a desire for one-upmanship and say, why does their life seem to be going so well? I wish that was me. Why does it seem like they get all the breaks? I should get all the breaks. Or even on the other side of the comparison cycle, at least I'm better than them. I've got myself more pulled together than them. In either case, when you start making comparisons, when you start exalting your own agenda rather than the agenda of other people, we lose. Why? Because we are all a family. When one of us wins, all of us wins. We should be in one another corner. We should have a culture of laying down our lives in service for one another. And friends, when we do that, doesn't that make the gospel attractive? When people come to Gospel Hope Church and they see people just willingly laying down their lives. When they hear about what's going on in your community groups and seeing people that are not blood, but serving people one another like blood. Isn't that compelling for the gospel? We want the the DNA, the culture of service to be part of everything that we do. I want to talk to you about something very serious right now. Chicken sandwiches. This is very near and dear to our hearts, folks. You know, here in Atlanta, there is a bit of controversy, and it's really about who is on the Lord's side. You can go to an establishment known as Popeye's, and you can have a delicious chicken sandwich. <laughs> Pastor Rod and I see eye to eye on many, many things. This is not one of them. You can go to Popeye's and have a delicious chicken sandwich. You can also go to the house of the Lord, also known as Chick-fil-A. And for our purposes of this illustration, we will say an equally delicious chicken sandwich, but that's just because I love my brother. You could go to either one of these places and have a delicious chicken sandwich. We can all agree on that, okay? But your experience at those two places is going to be radically different. Now, I'm not trying to sh- throw shade on Popeye's entirely. I mean, that's, that's part of this. Yeah, we need some, like, soft background music while I talk about Popeye's chicken, please. Can you, let's get that going. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, Irwin, I can't continue this. Yeah, okay, it's important, it's important. You can go to Popeye's and have a delicious chicken sandwich. You can go to Chick-fil-A and have a delicious chicken sandwich. But because service is in their DNA there, your experience will be different. In other words, they are kind of adorning their product by their attitude. And there's where it really does get serious. We have something better than chicken sandwiches. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let us lay down our lives for one another... And serve one another. So that when people see us and the way that we serve. And the way that we give ourselves for one another. They're like, I want that chicken. It exalts the person and work of Christ. By when we embrace this attitude and mindset of mutual servants. Laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Listen. Listen. You might hear all this and say, Pastor Ryan, that sounds good and wonderful, but it just feels like an aspiration to me. I mean, the type of community that you talk about, like my heart's a little bit like burning. Yeah, 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 but I'm pretty broken. I can be quick to isolate. I can cut people off. Man, when people ask a lot of me, I I feel like I just back away. I've just never lived in this type of community. Sounds great. But I don't know if it's in here. Well, here's the good news. Jesus came to earth. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he rose victoriously from the grave. To make people like you and I right with God. To mend that relationship that had been broken. Here's a graphic that we show in Gospel Hope 101 all the time. But it's a simple illustration of this. No matter what your starting point, no matter what your background, no matter what your story, if you trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you turn from your sins and put your hope in Him and Him alone. You can be made right with God. You are reconciled to him. That community between you and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was all messed up is now restored through the work of Jesus. You are now in the divine community in one sense. You've been made part of fellowship with God. And that's wonderful. There's a beautiful truth of God's word that through Jesus you are reconciled to God. But that's not the whole story. The Bible actually goes on to say that if you trust in Jesus, not only are you reconciled to God, but in that very same moment, you are also reconciled to everyone else who trusts in that same gospel, and that is the church. In other words, when you trust in Christ, when you turn from your sins and put your hope in Him, you not only get a father, but you get a family. It's not an aspiration for the people of God to say, man, I wish I belonged. No, Jesus died on the cross so that you would belong. Your belonging to the people of God is a blood-bought gift. So now the call on us is to fight for what we already are. Bernard is my brother. He's not like my brother. He is my brother. Kayla is my sister. And so I need to fight for family. To be unified and close. I need to live out what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So church, let's be family. Because that is what we are. I love what it says in 1 John chapter 3. Listen to this. (laughs) See what great love the Father has given us. That we should be called the children of God two things in there it's like John is a little bit incredulous it's like see what great love like I mean see look at it it's awesome that the father my father now has given us and he doesn't say that I should be called the child of God typically our Americanism that's where we would go first see what great love the father has given me that I should be called the child of God But he doesn't go there. He actually says, see what great love the Father has given. What's the the pronoun? Us. That we should be called the children of God. Part of the preciousness of the gospel is that you get a father and you get a family. So listen. Here's what I want to do this morning. I told you it was participatory today. I want to invite you to be part of this family in a really meaningful way. Now at Gospel Hope, one of the main things that we do, one of the main ministries that we have is called our community groups. And it's a group of people that gather on a regular basis to remind one another of what Jesus has done for them. They open the word together. They pray for one another. They build relationships with one another, and they try to encourage one another to serve. And here's what we want to do this morning. We want to give every single one of you an opportunity to get plugged into one of those. In fact, we're going to make some space for that right now. Uh, If you look on the back of your seats there, there's a QR code. So that's one way. You can click on that QR code with your phone, and that's going to show you all the groups that we have available for you to get plugged into if you haven't yet done so. Also, if you look up on the screen, we're going to have a, a slide up here that has all of the available community groups. Hang on, iPad. Um, That has all of the available community groups up there, and they're color-coded. And the reason they're color-coded is, in just a moment, I'm going to have the community groups go. In fact, community group leaders go right now. They're going to be standing around the room, and uh, if you want to have a conversation with one of these community group leaders, they would love to talk with you. So we're literally going to give you a few minutes right now to. Go to that app right there on Connect Center or connect with some of these folks if you would like to have a conversation about how you can get plugged in. Look, community groups are not some sort of magic bullet. They're not the only way that you can live in community, but for us at Gospel Hope, we're just trying to simplify a complex idea. We're just trying to give you an easy way to get connected and living your life in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Got it? So here we go. We're going to play some house music, give you a few minutes, have a conversation, click that QR code. If you're already plugged into a community group, feel free to mix and mingle, and then the band will come back and lead us in one more song. Ready, set, connect.